Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of You Gotta Act, a podcast show all about actors and acting. Today my guest is friend and filmmaker Charles Newland. <laughs> Hi Charles. Hi Manny. How are um, you doing? Pretty good. Yeah. In light of everything that's happening. So. I know, a stupid question. <laughs> I haven't had a haircut in five months, what can I say? Tell me about it. Like, this, this headphones are... These headphones are saving me right now. Otherwise, I mostly have put things in my hair to like hold it up, and it looks horrible. So, like, I look glamorous only on Zoom when <laughs> I do the podcast. So, I guess that's the advantage. So, Charles, you chose to talk about someone absolutely wonderful that I've I've um, I've always wanted to talk about, but at the same time, he's so omnipresent that to say that like you don't really think about what he's doing. I mean, this is like a weird way of saying that you chose to talk about Javi Keitel. <laughs> and um, before we get into talking about him and all these countless iconic films, can you tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what you do and how you got to do what you do? Yeah, well, I'm a filmmaker. I do a lot of documentary work. And how I come to be a filmmaker was originally I was a photographer. I started taking photographs of bands in the city where I'm from, Nottingham. And it just sort of went from there. It was like, oh, well, this is a camera which takes still photographs. Why don't I have to make this a film? How hard can it be? And that was 15 years ago, maybe. Wow. Yeah, about 15 years ago. So I've been slowly and steadily making films since that point. Cool. And yeah, your your films are mostly documentary. And, yeah. Um, and you have your own company, right? Some, That's some correct, company? yeah. No Town Films, which has been running for quite some time now. So mm -hmm. it's all going well. It's Things have slowed down, like as with a lot of the film industry at the minute, due to the global pandemic and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just a documentary. Well, 2020 was the year, because I've made a lot of documentaries, that's my thing, but what I'll be moving on to is dramas, which is where my heart really lies in regards to features. And that was supposed to all be in the planning for the early 2020 to move oh. from there. So, and uh, yeah, well, that didn't happen. So. It's going to happen soon now, right? Hope so. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And so you decided to talk about Javi Keitel. So you're a friend of mine and I know that you love, uh, I guess you love, I mean, you watch a lot of like gangster films, 70s yeah. films. And so I wasn't really surprised when you said Javi Keitel, but um, he's kind of a, an interesting figure. I mean, as we, as I, as me and Alessandro watched a lot of his films uh, in preparation for this, we realized that he's also a huge '90s actor. Like he, he's done so much basically ever since he started, and he's never stopped. And he's 81 years old now, and he's constantly doing things. So, um, why, why did you pick him? I mean, I'm guessing it's because of that '70s era. But can you say a bit more about that? I suppose really, it's a. To me, Kaitel's a bit of a hunt, like unsung hero in regards to 70s films. Obviously, if you're into films, you know who Harvey Keitel is. But you hear people talk about De Niro, Pacino, Dustin Hoffman. And Harvey Keitel sort of falls by the wayside a little bit. Mm -hmm. And to me, he's just an actor who's been like done interesting stuff from the beginning. Even up until like the other year when he was in The Painted Bird. Mm -hmm. You know, he's still making those kind of films that are sort of daring a lot of the times a bit horrible <laughs> hard but, to watch and i think another interesting thing about Kaitel is like we watched five films in preparation for this 
we watched Who's That Knocking at My Door, Blue Collar, Fingers, The Jewelists, and Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. Now, all five of those films were the directorial debuts of people who went on to have stellar careers after the fact. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Martin Scorsese, Paul Schrader, James Tobike, Ridley Scott, and Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And he was their actor in all those films. Mm-hmm. So, like, Outside of me just loving his performances, he must be a good look charm to quite a few people. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know... It's absolutely I, insane. I, I think there's just one of those things with him where he's never been scared to take a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, he will always, like, a young director, if he will work with them, you know, he has no issues exposing himself in a lot of films, which he does because he's from the very first one. He's yeah. naked and he continues that trend on... Yeah. that is yeah. that is refreshing in itself like just seeing and it, the, the interesting thing as well is that he he's not like uh, your typical hollywood movie star at all like you know he's not like a greek god getting naked you know he's a guy yeah just being completely naked in the, in every sense of the word that like he's being he's just very much willing to get vulnerable and I think you can see that, like you said, like from, from his first film, but in every way. Like he's he's just, what I really like about him is that he's always, not always, but he's very interested in playing guys that are really struggling and are breaking down and breaking down internally. Like that's what we were talking about with Alessandro. Like, you know, Pacino has played very loud, um, you know, kind of aggressive guys as well, very unlikable guys as well. But Pacino's troubles were always coming from the outside. It was him against the world, you know, like the world is yours kind of thing in Scarface. Whereas Keitel, it's more in- internal, it's more spiritual yeah. as well. And and he makes that come alive in so like through his amazing performance, but also like spe- specifically through his body. Like he's not he knows that an actor is a body as well. And and that seems like obvious because of course like it's a person that you film, but he really isn't af- afraid of using that. No, and he's always somebody who sort of seems big on screen. Mm. You know, he feels big. I I think he's got what Kaitel has got is an amazing talent. He works very well as a leading man in a lot of films he's been in, but he's also very good at sort of pulling it back to let somebody else do a bigger performance around him. Yeah, like sort of. The instances I can think of in that particular thing is Mean Streets, you know, like Kaitel is a sort of heart, of, which is in a few things that I've watched recently of him, you could sort of say he's like the heart of a film for other people to go big. Mm-hmm. Like, would De Niro's Johnny Boy work as well if you didn't have Kaitel's Charlie to anchor the performance? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the same thing with Blue Collar that we watch. Like, having a sort of reserved nature of Harvey Kaitel playing that allowed Richard Pryor to go sort of mm-hmm. do that big fucking performance. So, I think being able to do that is such a sort of gift mm-hmm. as an actor to be able to let sort of other people chew the scenery more than what he does, even though it's sort of like equal villains within that. Mm-hmm. And he, it's the same with like the duelists as well. He sort of plays that restrained character again, where obviously sort of in the context of the film, if there's a sort of good guy and a bad guy, he's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But he's not really over the top of his being a bad guy. Yeah. And yeah. The, the The Duelist is a really weird film, I have to say. Like I I had I don't think I'd heard of it to be honest, which is weird because it's a Ridley Scott film, but it is, like you said, his first film. It is so strange because it's about something so silly. <laughs> like it's yeah. just this guy, so obviously, you know, it's 
this uh, it's a film set during the Napoleonic era and everyone is like not French. <laughs> All the actors are not French. So uh, <laughs> Harvey Keitel is called Gabriel Ferro, but like they say it like Ferro. <laughs> so stupid. I'm like, just, just change the names also. I don't know. Anyway, um, but he plays this guy who one day he did a duel with some guy and turns out that was wrong because he wasn't meant to do a duel with this specific guy because of his rank or whatever. And so his boss sends some other guy to tell him that he has to stop doing that. <laughs> and so Gabriel Ferro, uh, Harvey Keitel, gets really mad at the messenger. And for the rest of their lives, he every time he sees him, like throughout the Napoleonic era, like for every battle thing, like in Russia or whatever, he's like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to fight him. Not necessarily kill him, but like I'm going to fight and I'm going to win. And it is like, yep. usually the duels are to the death. So it is, it is kind of a, you know, I'm going to do it. And that's the story. Like there's no proper reason what he does it's, that? I so think strange. It, the the film is based on Joseph Conrad's novel. Mm -hmm. I think the point he's getting to is sort of like the pointlessness of war, of which Harvey Keitel sort of encapsulates absolute. Like he doesn't think of anything other than in terms of winning and losing yeah. and war, and that's it. Like, but in the film, he's just an absolute dick. <laughs> exactly. He's a dick. Like he's just an idiot no as well. Like. It goes into sort of folklore and legend why this thing's like it, it happens over the course of 16 years. And these two guys are fighting on the same army. They even fight side by side at one point, mm -hmm. but he cannot let it drop that somebody bested him at some point. And people, it gets to the point where it's known within the Napoleonic armies, these two fucking hate each other. And one will not stop until the other one is destroyed. But nobody knows why. And when you see the beginning of the film, the reason why is, is because the Keith Carradine character embarrassed him in front of a madam in a bordello. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And that's it. <laughs> and he takes this as such a personal thing that he just sees an absolute, like, you have done this. I have been slighted. And I just will not stop forever and ever and ever. It's incredible. And, like, and I think Kaitar plays the part so well, just this sort of narrowed-eyed psycho who just, he just cannot stop. Mm -hmm. It's like, and... It's really funny because the duels happen in the sort of peace times before, in between the sort of wars mm -hmm. within that period. So as soon as the actual physical war has stopped, he starts his own personal war again to track down the guy who slighted him 12 years ago. And the guy who he's after constantly just wants to get on with his fucking life and avoid him. Just like, why don't you leave me alone? But he just won't. It's like the Terminator and just keeps going. <laughs> exactly. Going You're right, it's a Terminator. And I, it's funny because like there's one moment when... I feel like it's cool that we talk about this film a lot because nobody talks about it and it's really interesting. Yeah. But like, there's this one moment when uh, the Keith Carradine character is like arriving in a pub, or, like I don't know what you call it, a tavern, and he's like, uh, "Wow, tomorrow I'm getting promoted to whatever rank. Uh, cool." And then his friend that he's talking to, he's like, oh my God, don't look behind you because your pal is there. And guess what? He's got that promotion too. <laughs> so that yeah. means, because if you're a different rank, you, you can't duel. And he's like, yeah. oh my God. And he tries to leave <laughs> without the guy seeing him. But obviously he sees him. It's so funny. It's like, that's the entire story. But apparently it's based on real guys. It's based on real characters that existed. I, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Just <laughs> Real it, French it, guys who were just horrible. And it, it was one of those things when I started watching it and I thought like, obviously I was watching it again to do this. And I was thinking, I wonder what Manny thinks of the French setting and half of them being really posh English. Oh yeah. And 
Harvey Keitel sounded like he's from New York. Like, I was really confused. Like, I think Keith Carradine was doing okay, mostly. And then there were moments yeah. where he just dropped out of that and he sounded just uh, American. But then Keitel just went, no, I'm not going to do any effort. Like, I'm just going to be me. Kind of like a barking dog. So it kind of works because he doesn't, it's not like he's speaking a lot, you know. But no. so, so much nonsense, like, on that level. And, yeah, it kind of takes me out of the film, especially because they're meant to be French and they have, they have those fancy French names, like Gabriel, yeah. you know, they can't even say that, so... It's so funny. It's one of those films because it's actually, I think it's really well shot and really beautiful film as well. And I do like the ending, the sort of comeuppance of Harvey Keitel where he doesn't kill him. He loses the jewel and the Keith Carradine character spares him. So he owes his life. And that's worse than death to him mm -hmm. because he's outright, you know, he sort of stood on the hilltop with his French tri-corner hat on like Napoleon looking over the landscape, knowing that he's been completely vested and there's nothing he can do anymore. Yeah. That's it. He's sort of fucked. And it just ends on that though. It's it's and really like, like about like the emptiness of his like his life now has absolutely no meaning because he yeah. that's what he thought was meaningful. And yeah, it's it's a really yeah, strange ending. It really le leaves you like why well, did I watch this? But also yeah, but everything hmm. in his life has been taken away from him at that point because Napoleon has toppled and the royalty is reinstated. He is like a hardline Napoleon supporter. So he's had to leave the army because of that. So he's basically like some political dissident now where nobody wants anything to do with him. The only thing he's got left now is to kill yeah. Keith Paradise and he can't do it. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. You know? beautiful. And there's just, I think in that film as well, the way that the jewels are set up are actually a lot of the times quite funny as well. Oh yeah, yeah, so funny. Like there's a real irony to the stupidity of it all. You know, it's sort of... It's knowing, especially the part where they're on the horses. <laughs> like, we want to duel on horses. And he's like, why do you want to duel on horses? It's so extreme. Harvey Keitel ends up getting scalped. Yeah. And before he does, so like, Keith Carradine's life is sort of flashing before his eyes because he's really scared. <laughs> and it's like the horse, and it's cutting with this sort of really cool sounds of prior to what's happened. And it's just so quick. And you just see Harvey Cartel with the top of his head cut off and it just cuts to the next thing. It doesn't give any sort of exposition. Or, and it's I, I love the fact that it doesn't do that. Yeah. Like, characters just dip in and out and it doesn't really tell you anything about them. But all you know is that sooner or later, these two are going to meet back up and it's going to be violent. It's so weird. I don't, like, and that that's the first film as well. Like, yeah. Ridley Scott was like, this is what I'm going to do to show, like, what? Like, what, what I'm all about? But then I guess he's not really all about it. He's done all kinds of things. But yeah, anyway. Um... Yeah, you're right. Like the fact that that Keitel has worked on so many first features is such an amazing tribute to to his uh, genuine interest in in art, and in, in, I think he's got a genuine curiosity. And I listened yeah. to some interviews with him, and he sounds like a like a sort of Zen master sage kind of thing. Like he's fully constantly curious the guy is like 81 years old now you know and he's got, he's got yeah. like five projects in the works or something i'm like i don't know how he's gonna do it but yeah and i i i found this uh, really cool interview uh with tarantino from 1993 in empire magazine that's online about obviously uh reservoir dogs and they explain how it got made and obviously the way it got made is hundred thousand percent about like thanks to Harvey Keitel so yeah. what happened is that uh, Tarantino had this script he wrote in three weeks and he wanted to make it and he thought he was going to make it just with his friends and his uncle and stuff whatever he thought Mr. White would be like his uncle and then his friend who was going to produce the film was doing an acting class and 
the wife of his acting teacher knew Harvey Keitel. Somehow he got the script, he read it, and one day Tarantino got home, he listened to his voice messages, and there was Harvey Keitel being like, I would really like to help you guys. <laughs> and that's how it started. He gave money, he helped them cast it, because he sent, he, he paid for the plane tickets to go cast in New York, even though they were in LA. It's just incredible to think that without him, there wouldn't be Tarantino. And, you know, you can say good or bad about that you know, like i'm sure some yeah, people will be well, like oh i wish but i do think he's contributed some amazing stuff and yeah i think he's i think that film reservoir dogs is very interesting i had never seen it before this as well i have to say which is kind of shameful but that's fine um <laughs> it's it's interesting because it's kind of a filmed play in moments yeah and to have all these actors, especially Harvey Keitel, in that, that sells a film to you. I mean, you yeah. you know, if, if it was his uncle, like, it wouldn't have worked as well. So to think that without Keitel's involvement, it wouldn't, like Tarantino wouldn't be where he is. Maybe it would have happened eventually, but yeah. it's incredible. But Reservoir Dogs, I've watched it again. I've seen it so many times because I'm not really the world's biggest Tarantino fan, but I'm a big fan of Reservoir Dogs because it takes a lot of boxes that I like in those kind of films. Mm -hmm. A load of angry men shouting in one room. <laughs> mostly. And, like, Kaitel brings a sort of real gravitas to that. Obviously, everybody in it sort of later on became such great actors or, you know, Tim Roth, Steve Buscemi, Michael Madsen, whatever. But it's, it's a funny role because he's sort of like, the good guy in a room full of bad guys. Mm -hmm. He's like the the goodest bad guy. I don't know. He's you know the least bad one. <laughs> the least bad out, yeah. <laughs> and he does sort of bring a lot of emotion to the role of that, which is believable as well. He's sort mm -hmm. of got the look at that point of the sort of grizzled bank robber who just takes a shine to this young guy, you know. And even like the scene at the end. It's so beautiful. Honestly. Spoiler alerts on this. <laughs> And, um, you know, just the way he emotes after finding out that he's being deceived and he, everybody's fucking dead because he stuck up for somebody and that, like, tragedy of the deception, you know, it's just it's just a really great scene. Yeah. I think he just plays it so well. I think know, he's, just... he's really got a talent for breaking down loudly. It's like, um, I mean, I think I, we actually watched, like, because we loved watching his film so much, we actually watched more than the five you sent. So. Okay. <laughs> so we also watched um, uh, Bad Lieutenant, or Bad Lieutenant, yeah. I don't know how you pronounce it, depending. Uh, the Abel Ferrara movie, which is not yeah. his first film, but it's like a, an amazing film um, from 1992, which is the same. That was the, the first one of his I watched. Oh, was it? When I was 13. Amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> that set the tone. <laughs> that my my film watching was based on watching two films at a young age, which was The Bad Lieutenant and Videodrome. I've never um, seen Videodrome, but that's because I'm scared yeah. of it. <laughs> <laughs> so everything was sort of set to the tone of that afterwards. So, but yeah, yeah. What did you think of Bad Lieutenant? I I loved it. So that was me rewatching it because I first watched it. Uh, at the beginning of lockdown so actually almost a year ago now which is yeah. atrocious um i watched it with my sister because we were doing we were like we started to do this thing of like talking about movies on instagram live and it was really fun and um and yeah one film that really struck me especially the first time i watched bad lieutenants is uh the way kaitel uh like you were saying like emotes um yeah. you know 
spoiler alert, obviously, um, but when he's in the church and he's literally asking Jesus, like, you know, for forgiveness and also, like, why aren't you helping me? He, <laughs> he goes so intense because, like I was saying before, like, I think when he's tormented, especially in this film, it's like an internal tor torment and it's spiritual as well. So it's not about necessarily the world against him. It's more him feeling yes. feeling terrible and he just goes like his face just scrunches so much as if there was a devil inside him and he goes like it's like and it's so like it's hilarious but it's also just completely appropriate for this kind of torment it's, it looks like an exorcism of his demon yeah. and yeah i think it, it does similar things in um in fingers the the toback movie when he's playing the piano he's like da, 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 da. yeah <laughs> he's, he's yeah, a very that, physical actor like very expressive but at the same time subtle it's perfect yeah. it's a strange performance in fingers because to me sort of i've been seeing fingers quite a few times he sort of plays the character as if he's on sort of like the autism spectrum mm. carrying the radio and the reactions that he gets to it and how he reacts to other people and fingers is just a a very very strange i think mixture of its director because james toback is just a big sweaty creep of a guy yeah as we know is <laughs> he was he was one of the first guy who got taken down by the me too movement right he was like That's one of the right. first one and yeah. one of the i mean they're, they're all terrible but like just the level of his uh of his uh you know uh, torment of women yeah. was absolutely insane yeah and that was the sort of thing with James Toback was actually reported on way before Me Too as well. I think Jezebel was reported on it like three or four years before. Oh, wow. And it never really came to light because it was sort of like, well, who the fuck's James Toback in 2005? And oh, I see. It sort of came more to the fore when all the other stuff happened. Mm. But in that performance in Fingers, it's it's just one of those kind of performances where he's got to sort of put all this stuff into one character mm. he's got like it's like this weird mental anguish about being sort of gay or bisexual which is mentioned many times through the film mm -hmm. also the sort of weird kind of rapey things he does with women along with being this concert pianist who wants who's also a gangster so there's all this kind of stuff that's put into the character mm. and he manages to portray it right and I think that's a, the saving grace of the film is that Kaitel's performance is so good in it mm -hmm. that it does kind of save it because totally. on paper it should be just fucking awful <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like yeah it's too much it's too many things I think like it's, when it when it like at first it's just a funny dude with his radio playing the piano and then it's like yeah. this insane gangster stuff and the weird like he's the woman he likes who's with this threatening sort of pimp and he's like what is happening <laughs> like just make two different films and it's okay like but i guess you know you, you first film so impulses well, that. weird thing about fingers is the guy yeah the, the black guy who he sort of has this weird relationship with well is american football player called jim brown oh. who in his day and still to this point is one of the greatest american football players of all time oh wow and Basically, he was like the LeBron James of his day. Obviously, it's a different sport. But James Toback went to write an article about him for Esquire or GQ and ended up living with him for like three years. And that kind of sort of sexuality that he portrays in that film, I think in turn was something that James Toback witnessed in real life. 
Whoa. And, and the sort of way it's shot at those scenes, that fucking disgusting scene where he smashes the two women's heads together. Harvey Keitel is sort of filmed about this big in the frame because he's just such an awe of like sexual power of this man. And he, all his inadequacies of like, he kind of wants to be him and wants to fuck him as well. And all this <laughs> kind of stuff comes to the fore in this scene. Yeah. And it's like, that is straight from the mind of the director. So for an actor to try and portray the quirks and peculiarities of the man creating the film, you know, it's, it's sort of in a manner like, Who's that knocking at my door? Where I was going to say, like, no, has sort of got like the mannerisms of Scorsese in that film. So much. His accent sounds like him. He's got them like blah, 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 searches. Blah, blah. John Wayne. Like, yeah, you know he's playing Scorsese, whereas in Fingers he's just playing James Toback. It just happens to be one is a lot fucking darker than you. Know? <laughs> one is a cute guy who can't stop talking about westerns, and the other yeah, one is a know? massive creep. But, yeah, apart from he's sort of like weird backwards issues about sexuality with regards to women and all that kind of stuff you know Harvey Keitel has never been shy of dealing with these complex characters in regards to fucked up relationships with women absolutely yeah. I mean we watched also The Piano the yeah. uh, Jane Campion movie from 1993 um, she was the first I think American director to no not American English speaking uh, female like female director to win the Oscar or something like that and she won the Palme yeah. d'Or as well anyway it's an amazing film I had never seen before and like you were saying I mean in this film as well he plays a character that is very um, you know you don't know how to feel about him really because he starts yeah. off uh, again spoilers um, he starts off um, um, kind of coercing this woman played by Holly Hunter who's a mute woman who plays the piano he coerces her to play for him and let him do things while she plays, which is how he phrases it, which is uh, you don't really understand what he means until later on, uh, so that she can get her piano back because he got the piano now. And it's very disturbing. And eventually, you know, he wants her to be in bed with her. And it's it's very ambiguous, but turns out what he does is awakens her, her sensuality. Yeah. And, you know, I mean... What he's done is not correct. And he himself says, you know, afterwards, it was like, what I'm doing is making you a whore and me a wretched man. So I don't want to do it anymore. He gives her the piano. Again, like, who? I mean, that is a very challenging role. And again, it's one when he gets fully naked. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think someone like him can play that because not only because he's not afraid of it, but because he makes it makes it look not like a, a villain. But just like mm. a, a guy who's got issues, basically. Just like a very that's, troubled, sensitive man as well. That's the thing, isn't it? Like, when you're watching The Bad Lieutenant, you know, he acts like what should be the bad guy of the film. Mm -hmm. But you don't really take him as the bad guy of the film. You take him as just sort of this horrible guy who's just, he's got there's something wrong somewhere, you know. But coming back to sort of who's that knocking, the sort of those kind of roles where he does that there's a part of it where he meets this girl who in his mind is sort of above his class mm -hmm. she's sort of the other do you know what i mean she comes from sort of a better background she's interested in things that's a bit more above his sort of seeming intelligence and that kind of stuff and like the first part where they're together he sort of pits her up on such a pedestal because she's so different from what he's used to being around mm -hmm. that he doesn't want to fuck her because he thinks like if he fucks her she's a whore mm -hmm. 
She's abroad. <laughs> yeah, she's abroad, you know? And then when she tells him about what happened to her, that a boyfriend raped her, he, like, all the illusions of this sort of angelic woman come crashing down, and now she's back to a hope, even though it's something completely out of her own sort of yeah. circumstances that she could control. But he blames her for it. And sort of as a first proper role for a film to be able to do all that and do it as well as what he does. It's, it's weird watching these films in the order I've watched them because you see him getting older because he was so sort of cute and fresh-faced in that film. Yeah. He looks like a baby, you know? You're used to seeing Harvey Keitel a certain way. Yeah, and very rugged, him, yeah. Yeah, you know, and he he gets it across. And again, it's, it just feels like a film where a director's sort of working out his sexual quirks using Harvey Keitel as an avatar. <laughs> He's just a vehicle for all these guys to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I was completely blown away by who's that knocking at my door because, like you were saying, you know, not only is he amazing and, and so young and so fresh, but also yeah. because, I mean, you know, again, I don't want to go too deep into talking about the films themselves because this is about him, but I think the film... You know, watching that today is is so it is so so much more wait. Is that outside? Baby screaming. Yeah. Sorry. There <laughs> siren and a baby scream. <laughs> it turned into a Harvey Keitel film. <laughs> <laughs> I love so much like the beginning of Bad Lieutenant when he drives his kids to school and he just like screams at them. Yeah, like, but he's screaming about the aunt as well. You tell her to fuck yeah. off. <laughs> if you want to use the bathroom, you tell her to fuck off the bathroom. <laughs> Jesus, it's like 8 a.m. in the morning. Okay, anyway, yeah. uh, where was I? So who's that in knocking at my door? The other reason why I love it as well, and it's linked to Kaitel being willing to play these very uh, complex, conflicted characters and, you know, not likable or unlikable characters, is that watching that film today, it is one of the best depictions of toxic masculinity I've ever seen. Like, oh, absolutely, yeah. It's, his, it's Martin Scorsese's very first movie. You, I don't even know how old he was. He was like 20 or something. Yeah. It's insane. And it is so nuanced. And it's not judgmental. It's more painting the society that this guy lives in and why he would think that, you know, this woman being sexually assaulted is her fault. You know, it's, it's very interesting because at the same time, with the the way Scorsese adopts kind of like French new wave uh, techniques, you know, with like a cross cutting zooms and like very very very. I didn't make a joke watching it. I was like, "Watch his Godard once." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's just really pushing for it, and it's like so obvious. There's one shot when um, I think it's the beginning of the film when uh, Kaitel is walking down the street with his friend. And they're going into a building and it's like a shot from the high above in the sky, like down on the street. It's exactly the same as in the 400 blows yeah. when uh, when Jean-Pierre and his pal like skip school and they go to the cinema or whatever. It's the same, like exactly the same. Anyway, I mean, it's cute that he was so inspired by, by the French guys. Um, but like the way the film works and the way Kaitel plays it, it really emphasizes the complexity of this and the fact that these guys are are living in this horrible context and there's no reason why they would try and behave differently because it makes them feel good and powerful to be horrible basically yeah. like when they when they play tricks on girls and and they drink like crazy they, they, there's absolutely nothing stopping them 
except when he encounters this woman who's asking for just you know his his respect and his love and he's completely unable to do that because if that's your worldview of what women should do then obviously every woman is a bitch or whatever because it's yeah. insane it's, it's not realistic anyway it's, it's it, so interesting i think the one of the interesting things about scorsese with that period like he was at knocking at my door always to me felt like a sort of bit of a trial run and a precursor to what he really wanted to do in mean streets yeah because there's a lot of the themes in that which is just done sort of bigger and better mm -hmm. with mean streets but it's the fact that those two films are really based on his own personal experience and like their world where they lived was about four streets in new york and little italy mm -hmm. you know you've got the sort of that particular area of new york is four or five streets and everything there was all this other stuff happening in walking distance away mm. in the village all the sort of poets and the art and all that kind of stuff but it might as well have been a million miles away and it was so out of their realm of comprehension that people were doing this kind of stuff mm. like I, I think you might have seen it I shared a picture on Instagram of Martin Scorsese and it was taken whilst he was in NYU and it was a black and white photograph uh -huh. and it looks like it's from 1932 oh yeah I saw it yeah he, he he was so sort of behind the times of everything that was going on around him mm -hmm. because he was so stuck in those ways up until the point he obviously seen a bit more of the world. And that really comes through in those films. Like mm -hmm. it's such a small worldview and the characters he's writing, it's like Harvey Keitel character is obviously him. Everything's alien to him other mm -hmm. than what he knows. And that is why he acts that way. Women are supposed to be a certain way, mm -hmm. you know, and if they don't sort of, come within the view of what he expects a woman to be there's no nuance in it she's mm. either an angel or she's a whore and exactly. that really comes through yeah and yeah it's so, true you're right because 1967 is basically that's that's the sexual revolution as we call it like yeah. and it's like this guy has no clue like no. you know a couple years later he's gonna freak out like when he sees what women do and stuff well, it was yeah. one of those things I heard about Scorsese that he, I think he might have said it himself, he went to do some of the camera work on Woodstock, he made the documentary Woodstock, filmed the performances and the concept. And Martin Scorsese said he was the only person there dressed in slacks and a shirt and tie <laughs> at fucking Woodstock. <laughs> oh my God, I would yeah. love a picture of that, like tiny yeah. Scorsese and so that sort of tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um... And another masterpiece, I think, that is also a first film is Blue Collar, which yeah. I had seen before, like three years ago, I think, and I rewatched it, and it's, it's just perfect. I can't believe this is some guy's first film. I mean, Paul Schrader obviously uh, had uh, written Taxi Driver, but direct, like from a directing point of view, it's perfect as well. Like it's it's so yeah. it's so controlled, it's so, and at the same time, there's so much room for the actors, which are like you were saying. Um, Kaitel, obviously, but also Richard Pryor, who I believe at the time was already famous, right? He was already a stand-up yeah. famous guy, but he's so amazing. And he's not really playing a funny guy at all. I mean, he's, he's got a sense of humor, but he's, he's very moving. And again, I think that's, a, an, just as Who's That Knocking at My Door is amazing to watch today for its thing on like, you know, uh, gendered roles and stuff. Um, I think Blue Collar on class issues and racism is incredible. Like, the only thing, though, is that when we were talking about it with Alessandro, it was like, oh, we'd love to, like, read a review from a film critic of color 
like a black film critic from the time and then i was yeah. like oh wait like can i find that like were they black film critics at the time because i would be really curious because obviously this is written by a white guy and it's about this these issues and to my eyes it portrays them well but it is such a complex situation of these uh, so it's three characters uh, two black men and one white who's Avi Keitel, they're all working in this uh, automobile making factory in Detroit and they're all struggling financially, like big time. They're trying to do their best, you know, they, they, they work very, very, very hard in this horrible factory and they have families, two of them have families and they have taxes to pay, tax bills. And one day they decide to try and steal the money from the, their union which is uh, yeah. because they also have a, they're also angry at the union because they think it doesn't do anything and it's actually corrupt and it actually doesn't want to help them. And from then, you know, everything goes wrong, basically. And um, to me, the film is about how class, you know, class differences, it kind of puts everyone on the same level, you know, if you're poor, you're poor. But yeah. then, then, you know, class also can um, take advantage of, divisions within society to make them worse to make everything so much more confusing to turn your friends into your enemies and it's it's heartbreaking and it's and it's beautiful and i think kaitel is is i don't know what happened in the shooting of this film but i feel like kaitel is 100 percent his character he's jerry like to me when i watch this film i don't see harvey kaitel at all not yeah. like when i watch maybe um reservoir dogs i see harvey kaitel but i guess it's because he's starting to know it's a different style but when i watch blue collar i don't see him i see like an actual factory worker and it's perfect it's incredible yeah they um he, he really does it's like we was talking about before in terms of his performance he sort of anchors it to the point of letting the other sort of guys do kind of the bigger performances and the heavy lifting but i think it's a really interesting film in the regards of that like you were saying these guys are sort of fucked from the off. It doesn't matter what they do or what they don't do the only way that one of them sort of succeed is by sort of turning is back on the others and basically joining the man. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's all it's sort of a tale as old as tales of that you cannot beat something that big above you, it will always crush you. Mm -hmm. And that's what it does in this film. You are crushed. Like Harvey Keitel needs to get the money to get braces for his daughter's teeth, you know, which seems like such a fucking small thing to have to go robbing for. Mm -hmm. But you know, in that world, those braces and how much they cost for that child might as well be the cost of a Rolls Royce because, you know, if you've got no money, $500 might as well be $500,000. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And to sort of portray that in that way, I think he does a really good job, you know, and you can't really sort of talk about Kaitel's performance without talking about Pryor's performance because he's just phenomenal in that film. Mm -hmm. he's, you know, he's so good the way... He does it and also sort of does the kind of deception to save himself, but the explanation he gives for it when it gets to the scene when the meetup at the end outside the house is like, look, I've had to do this because this is self-preservation. What you don't understand is, is that you are white. These opportunities don't come for me very often. So when they do, I've got to take them. He says, you've got an inbuilt privilege as it is mm. because you are you, mm. you know? So fuck you, we're all on our own It's in so this. sad because it's, it is... And at the same time, the the Richard Pryor character turning his back on his friends is the reason why it all goes to shit. Like, is the reason yeah. why he's the other guy, Smokey, gets killed basically. Yeah. So it's very sad because you don't want to tell him, no, you're wrong. Like, I don't care about the fact, you know. 
obviously I understand, but it's it's such a it's that's that's what I like about Paul Schrader is that he he likes to make to portray the the most impossible situations, like the most yeah. tormenting stuff possible. Like in um, a more recent example, like in First Reform, like the torment of a priest who realizes that the world is dying and there's absolutely no reason to have faith in the world. Like it's yeah. just there's absolutely like there's never a point where the guy is like, oh, actually, I found the solution. There's no solution. Yeah. It's just it's no just solution. tragic. And the idea that you're a man of faith, you're a priest, and everything that you've believed means by and large nothing because everything out of your control that's happening in the earth is dying exactly you know basically like you've lived a lie all the hope and belief that you've put in to just be a good person means absolutely fuck all in the long yeah. run because yeah you can't win you know in the same way you cannot beat the union you know you can't beat pollution first reformed it's gonna win you know yeah so yeah, yeah it's it's it, the performance of Harvey Keitel in that is really subdued, and that's something that I really like about it. Mm -hmm. Because it is, Blue Collar's a really sparse film anyway. You know, it's not overly directed. It's not flashy. Mm -hmm. And I think the sort of minimalism of Blue Collar sort of works for the performances and everything in it, because everything is so drab. Mm -hmm. Like, everything yeah. just looks miserable. You know, I think Pauline Kael said in her review of it when it came out, like, even a sunny day looks like purgatory because there's just nothing. <laughs> yeah, I like the um, the scene when they all uh, having this massive uh, party on the Friday, like night out for whatever, and it's just like it's on the same level as what happens in Bad Lieutenant. It's like total kind of you know blowout of like drugs and women and and alcohol. Yeah, and it it's it makes sense because they have they have nothing else. <laughs> like they have absolute they have so much pressure. And also, yeah. again, like uh, masculinity and the idea of masculinity, like uh, I was talking about Alessandro, comes into play in that film because they are the breadwinners. That they yeah. have to be the, the, the guys bringing everything to the table. And they I are love... being made to feel less of men because they cannot provide the most basic function at that point in time for that kind of person was to provide for their family. Mm. And they can't do that. Yeah. So. And meanwhile, the wife is at home being like, we need braces for the kid. And, you know, yeah. and I, I love the moment when... Um, he Kaitel finds out that his daughter, like this, like hurt herself in her mouth because she tried to do braces for herself yeah. with like wires, which is so yeah. sad. And he looks at her and he's like horrified. And his wife is like, "Yeah, she tried to do braces." The the kid runs to her bedroom crying, and he has this moment where he he just doesn't know how to react because you feel this sense of like he cannot express his emotion. He can't. He can't say it. He can't he can't like tell his wife that he's sad and he's sorry because that would be wrong because he's meant yeah. to do the right and it's it's like this kind of it's not a long take but it's the camera stays on him a little bit and he's just there struggling and i think kaito's uh, career is 100 percent about doing this and being ready to do it and obviously he's played other guys like other kinds of characters he's played some good guys like in uh in Thelma and louis he's actually a good cop <laughs> yeah which is uh, unusual and he's an understanding cop. Like he understands what what these women are running away from and towards. But yeah, I think he's he's got some some real sensitive uh, sensitivity to him. Absolutely, yeah. And I think with a lot of other films, I watched a film of his recently, which I haven't seen for a long time, and it's got loads of different titles because it was an Italian film made in New York. All right. And it's sort of like a precursor to the Bad Lieutenant, but. 
the bad guy in it or the sort of protagonist sort of thing is John Lydon, Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols. Whoa. So it's, he's only acting part, I think. And it's, it's, I really like it. It's called Cop Killer. Okay. I think it's on YouTube. I don't know who owns the rights to it. But he plays that same sort of character again where he's an absolute shit and he does terrible things, but you don't see him as a bad guy. I don't know how you can have that ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Did you know, even in the bad like in the bad lieutenant, he doesn't. Yeah, you know he's a bad guy, but he's not the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, it's I do. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think it comes from being an actor who, you know, they. I mean, one typical, not typical, but like a common lesson in acting is like you have to understand your characters and you can't judge them. Because if you judge yeah. them, you're, you're not going to, you're only going to play people you agree with. And that's boring. Like, I mean, how are you going to explore the fullness of uh, humanity if you just play good guys or whatever? And I think for him, I mean, I know he trained in the method. Um, he, he was at the actor's studio. He took him like six years to get in because at first they didn't want him <laughs> and it was very competitive, but he went there and he trained there and he's trained with Stella Adler and all that. But I think it's more than just the method. I think it's his sensibi- sensi- sensitivity, sensibility, and like, for instance, in Bad Lieutenant, when he does all this stuff, like take, smoking crack and things like that, there's a real sense of shame that yeah. he carries around. And it's not like a judgmental thing of like, oh, this person who smokes crack definitely feels like shit. It's not like, it's, it's not that. It's more like, it's also the, the way the films are written. Like, you know, in, in Bad Lieutenant, we don't know what he was like when he started doing this stuff, but like he's at a point in his life now where he's reaching break, breaking point, but it's not... Um, yeah, he's got. He's just got some, kind of some kind of empathy for for his characters, and I think it translates. You know, it just it just does. In Bad Lieutenant as well, you get the feeling like the character knows what he's doing is bad, but has come to terms with the fact it's bad. Yeah. He just accepts it. He accepts that what he's doing is bad. You know, it's like. And that's interesting to portray. You know, like I feel like movies don't always want to do that. Yeah. Like, they just want to portray people who are like, I should be the good. You know. When, like, obviously the end of the film sort of when it's reaching its crescendo like his moment of grace and the only good thing he does is let two boys go who have raped a nun with a crucifix yeah and that's like his moment of like this is my time to do this good thing like all the undeserving people he's terrorized and abused like these are the ones that is going to get redemption with. and i think it's because they've done things that are so bad and so sort of incomprehensible to his mind that it's like I've got to let them go because there's got to be some good in people somewhere. Mm. So <laughs> this is a point of like, I've seen the nun, I've read, seen what's happened, but I'm going to let them go. It's just like, it's heartbreaking, but it's also yeah. like admirable, like on a, you know, it's, it's this, it's what the nun says. Like, you know, I, God loves all his children and kind of thing. And he, that really struck him. Like that really goes with him because because that means if he can save these kids, he can save himself. Yeah, you know, and I think that's Abel Ferrara is just like so badass that he's like, you know what? What could be the worst possible, most blasphemous crime ever? Ever that I'm gonna make him forgive the criminals for? Oh yeah, I know, like a rape of a nun with a crucifix. It's it's yeah. uh, it's really a film that I think earns its horribleness like completely. It does, yeah, because I think it subverts expectations in that film as well, because on the sort of scale of the crime, obviously, spoke about through the film, you expect him to go and just rampage and murder these people because that was what 
you would expect him to do given what he has done up to that point mm. so yeah. to sort of be able to turn it in that manner is such mm. an interesting thought process behind it and I think you know it would Bad Lieutenant was written by Zoe Lund and Abel Ferreira and there's definitely parts of Abel Ferreira in that because you know in a lot of his films I think he's one of those directors that does put a lot of himself and a lot of the stuff he does and so yeah I think that was just another one of the Harvey Keitel being a bit of an avatar for a fucked up mindset if he was playing puppet master on the given day yeah he's like a like he's kind of like a great therapist for these guys I feel like he's just like I'm gonna be your mirror and you can yeah. like exhaust exercise all the stuff all this stuff out of yourself and then like also you make a good movie out of it like don't worry about it. It's fine to be a bit weird. <laughs> I mean, to an extent, obviously, James Toback is cancelled and we don't want to talk about him. But yeah, it's. I guess that's what actors can do sometimes. Yeah. Be, be a real gift to their directors. And also, in Blue Collar, if you ever wanted to see Richard Pryor and Harvey Keitel have a sword fight with dildos, that's in the film. So that's <laughs> the recommendation to watch Thanks for listening to or watching this episode of You Gotta Act. If you wish to know in advance who our next guest will be and ask them a question, become a friend of You Gotta Act on Patreon. See you next time.